Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The mother and baby homes redress scheme is debated in the Dáil and campaigners are not happy. We take a look at what comes next in this long-running saga. The company that runs NCTs are up in front of the Oireachtas as people wait months and months to get a test for their car. Are you one of them? It's unfair to let us drive around with no NCT. I paid the fee and they can't provide it until September, so what am I supposed to do when I get stopped by the guards? And the legacy of Bridget is brought into focus as we gear up for a first public holiday to celebrate the saint. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Government's planned redress scheme has been talked about for more than a year and in the last few hours it has been up in front of the door but survivors are calling out parts of it with opposition TDs saying it pits survivors against each other. Well here in studio now to discuss this is Green Party Senator Pauline O'Reilly, Social Democrat TD Holly Carnes, news correspondent at the journal.ie Orla Ryan and solicitor Norman Spicer. We are talking about the mother and baby homes and if we were to look at the timeline around all of this, Orla, it has been more than a decade since Catherine Corliss had that report on the Tune Mother and Baby Home that really opened up this story for so many people. Of course, for survivors, they've known about it all their lives. But take us to where we're at now around the issue of redress. What happened tonight in the Dáil? It, it, it has come to a head as such when it comes to the final payout and compensation, if you like, for people who have been in mother and baby homes. Yeah, so there was a debate for several hours in the Dáil this afternoon and uh, there was you know, almost unanimous um, uh, voices across the opposition of all parties and none very, very critical of the bill. Um, one of the major contentious issues is the fact that people who spent less than six months in an institution as a child are completely excluded from redress. Pretty much everybody who spoke this evening said that this is ridiculous. It pits survivors against each other. There's almost a hierarchy of trauma kind of saying, well, you were only in there for five and a half months, therefore you're not entitled to anything. Whereas if you were in there for six months in a day, you are. So it's deeply unfair. Um, there were dozens of amendments put forward by members of the opposition and almost all of them were rejected are deemed out of order. Um, that's not surprising. I was texting some survivors today as we were watching the debate and it was very much as expected since the scheme was announced in November 2021. There has been some minor changes such as refinement of payment bans and other things, but largely it has remained the same and the government has said consistently over the past year, we're not extending it. It is what it is. And was there shock at that point in November 2021 to go back to that when that decision was made, which would essentially exclude 40% of, of survivors of mother and baby homes from getting redress. 
It just seemed entirely arbitrary and, you know, it was brought up um, back then and today in the Dáil, people said, well, give an explanation. Why was six months chosen? Roderick O'Gorman didn't really give any explanation. And as Richard Boyd Barrett and, and Holly and others said, that's because there isn't a valid explanation. It's an arbitrary date that seems to be as a cost-saving exercise. OK, well, we can have a listen now to Minister Roderick O'Gorman, who was in the Dáil earlier, as we say, and he went into detail about what exactly was involved in the scheme. Take a look. But I'm of the view that the provision in this section has been, been perhaps misinterpreted and I, I'd like to explain its intention here. Section 15 provides for when an applicant provides for an applicant to make a further application to the scheme where another institution in which he or she resided is added to the list of institutions that's covered by the scheme. In all other circumstances, uh, only one application should be made under the scheme in order to streamline the process for the applicant and also enhance the efficiency of the scheme. Where a further application is made under Section 15, the intention provided for under this section, the section that would be deleted if this amend amendment is successful, is to afford the most advantageous calculation possible in, in terms of assessing the applicant's eligibility for payments and access to health services under the scheme. Therefore, when it benefits an applicant to do so, Section 15.4b allows for their previous application to the scheme to be decided along side their new application so that the total number of days they spent in the combined institutions will be reckonable in terms of affording an enhanced medical card or a payment um, where they previously had not satisfied the eligibility criteria for such benefits. Well, it's, all, it's all quite complex, isn't it, Orla? Um, the minister there going through, I suppose, what someone who will wish to get redress will have to will have to go through because mm -hmm. there's there was something he mentioned there about enhanced medical card schemes and payments and, and those sort of measures they're coming on stream as well aren't they um, for survivors yeah so about 34,000 survivors will be eligible for redress and then about 19,000 of those will be eligible for the enhanced medical card um, but it is a little bit complicated and, and many of the survivors were calling for a HAA card which is a slightly upgraded version of that so it is quite complicated um, to, to go uh, to this, Holly, it's something you've long been campaigning on and you said if the bill passes this week, it will be an indelible stain on this government's term in office. It is likely now to come to pass, though, isn't it? It is, and you spoke about how some parts of it were complex and just there the Minister was speaking to a particular amendment about if other institutions were added to uh, the, the ones that you can claim redress if you were in. But in some ways it's really not that complex because... You know, what happened was we decided finally after however many decades we wanted to provide redress for survivors of these institutions and the government carried out a report and they engaged with survivors in that and they were quite commended for doing that where they asked survivors what should redress be based on. The thing that came up the most in terms of the findings of that report was that forced family separation, that being taken, you know, the separation between a mother and a child and Richard Boyd Barrett spoke really eloquently about the impact of that in the Dáil this evening, nobody else could have articulated it better in there. And instead, so the government saw that, that was their own report, mm. that was the top finding, and they scrolled down, much further down, to time spent in an institution, and they decided to run with that. And they brought in this six-month thing. We spent all, like, hours in the door today saying, how, why six months? And there was what the minister was just saying there, lots of talk and kind of almost bureaucratic kind of jargon, yeah. and no actually answering the question, and let's, why? Let's talk about that. And, Pauline, can I ask you, because people 
are asking, like it's not simply just survivors of mother and baby homes who are clearly asking this question because of the trauma they've been through and they're getting no redress at the end of it. But others would say, what's the rationale behind leaving people who are in these homes less than six months out of the scheme? Well, let's, let's just start from the fact that, you know, when the Commission reported, it actually was only going to... Um, it was recommending redress for only 6,000 people. And this is a scheme that uh, covers 34,000 people. There was also another report, an interdepartmental one, that um, would have seen, you know, um, an another figure in between that. Um, and ultimately, the, the, what, what uh, Minister O'Gorman did, without those back, the backup of those reports, that would have seen far less... So Far you're saying less. he was being generous? He, look at nothing. It, there, there is no amount of money that is going to fully compensate people. But it's really important to remember that it's €800 million. Euro. Mm. The original figure was €400 million, But apart from that, this is one part. What people really had been asking for, had been asking previous governments for, and they were never able to successfully get it over the line, was information about their births. Um, okay. And also redress for mothers, and every mother will get redress. But the redress, this. but the redress that does affect forty percent of survivors, and they clearly wanted they wanted to be listened to, but they also wanted to see compensation at the end of this for what and they went through in their life. What was the rationale behind it? Well, look, I think that um, that there is no proper time at which you, you you could say a year, you could say you could say any well, amount of time. What about just if you were ever in a home? Well, it actually it actually increases the longer you were in there. So it, it's but not. But what about if you were ever in a home, well, like simply at that which campaigners well, have been well, calling you, for? Why I the mean, six months? Well, I mean, you, but this this is the point, and I think Minister O'Gorman did say it as well. It it could be, and I and I. Arbitrary, I don't think, is a fair word to say. Mm. But if, if you've been in a home for three years, for decades, as some were, you are going to get substantially more but than somebody who was there. But you'll get if you were there short. between except that you Except that never before were people able to get information about their births. Never were they entitled to have a birth cert, and now they are. Never were they entitled yeah. to have counselling, and now they are. But no, um, so but it, no this is financial historic. redress, just to, this, to clarify this, no, that. This is historic, though. You know, th this is historic and, and an awful lot of people, people are talking about survivors as if there's one, you know, there's one group out there. There has been a huge amount of consultation mm -hmm. and particularly relevant are people who have been waiting, who are getting older and older All and they're right. waiting. OK, let's get, let, let's get some reaction um, to those who represent families. And um, Norman, you're here in that regard. You legally represent survivors. Um, Correct, what yes. is their take on this redress scheme and who qualifies, I imagine, and, and who simply won't? Uh, I think there's uh, quite a lot of disappointment in the community, uh, particularly at this point uh, where, you know, many thought that these arbitrary restrictions would have been dropped. Um, but unfortunately, at this point in time, it doesn't appear that they will be. Uh, I think there's, I mean, amongst the community, as you can understand, uh, there's like a huge distrust of the state. Uh, these people suffered, you know, at the hands of the state. Um, and now we're, we're in a situation where the community's been carved up. Some survivors have been, been uh, afforded redress and others aren't. Mm. Uh, it's discriminatory um, mm. and excludes a huge portion of the community. Uh, and what are they feeling about um, the idea that um, Pauline is saying there that they can access records, they can get information that they didn't have before and that's largely what they were looking for? Is that largely what they were looking for? 
Well, that certainly hasn't been my experience uh, in dealing with the community. I think uh, that is certainly a, an element of it. Um, I don't think it's something that should be championed uh, in a modern state. You know, there should be access to basic information like that. And I think GDPR, in fact, paved the way for that, uh, notwithstanding the provisions in, in the Birth and Information Bill. Um, also, just to ask about that less than six months, because I know at the time when it was announced and there was a lot of upset and shock and Roger Gorman said, well, I know he did go back and sort of apologise for the comments the way they came out, saying, well, if you were under six months, you know, you can't remember what happened to you as such. Tell me about then, I suppose, the trauma that survivors who've come to you would say they've experienced in their life as a result of spending any time whatsoever in a mother and baby institution in this country? Yes, well, I mean, my experience would be that, you know, I, I meet a lot of survivors. Some have been in the institutions for maybe only several weeks. Others been in there for several years and longer. Um, and it certainly uh, doesn't appear to me there to, to be any difference between some people who, in fact, can be more severe for some people who are only in there for a number of weeks, uh, maybe were very quickly and very crudely uh, taken from the arms of the mother and handed off to someone else. Uh, or didn't see their family members ever again, and indeed have had met with, been met with brick walls over the years trying to get information and to trace down members of their family and things like that. So uh, it's certainly not been my experience dealing with the community that um, you know that that, that these people uh, you can only tell when somebody's been hurt if they're in there a certain amount of time. That that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. um, Holly, uh, we've heard the view that this decision was it was a cost-saving exercise. Is that what do you believe um, it was? And if the bill is going to be passed on this and this is going to go through politically, where, where can it go now? Yeah, I think that's the only uh, explanation left and the Minister is yet to give an explanation. Pauline didn't give an explanation there. We don't know why six months was chosen. Um, the examiner actually put an FOI into the department to find out how they chose that. And the response from the department was, we won't disclose that because we don't want to upset a vulnerable group of people. They're essentially saying, we've excluded you from the scheme. We're not going to tell you why in case we upset you. That kind of treatment of survivors is what they've always experienced in the history of this state. And that's what's continuing today. And it can't be dressed up like it's the same with, you just mentioned the birth information and tracing legislation, like some kind of fanfare. Look, we're giving people their information. Well, weren't, it wasn't everybody else in the country always entitled to that information. This is the bare minimum. Nobody gets a medal for finally giving adopted people their birth mm. information. And then in addition to that, the third bit of legislation that we've been dealing with in relation to mother and baby homes since the election is the Burials Act. And in that legislation, finally, because of the international pressures when the story of the, the um, child and infant remains in the septic tank and tomb came out, they were forced to say, we, we will reinter, um, we will exhume and reinter these remains. Mm. And then they legislated to only do that in tomb. So basically legislating to say, we won't do it in all of the other known burial sites <coughs> in Ireland, where, for example, in Besborough, there's over, potentially over 800 children accounted for. What Holly is saying, and I think what many survivors would also say, was at every step along this way, it's a battle, a battle from the state, a battle for justice, a battle to be recognised and to be heard. And even when they felt they were heard, actually, then at the end, when it came down to final payments, they're not, they're not being heard. Okay. I, I completely acknowledge that, you know, how, how difficult it is. I mean, I, I've been a solicitor in a firm that's dealt with redress cases and I've seen trauma firsthand. And what's particularly traumatic and what, you know, what people wanted to avoid in this, this is what 
you know, predominantly people were asking for is something that didn't re-traumatise people, that they didn't have to go and show evidence. Do you think that it was it, a missed opportunity? Sorry. Do you, think, do you no, believe no, it sorry. was a missed opportunity in this instant by Roger O'Gorman and by the Greens in government? They had this portfolio um, and, and there was an opportunity for closure across the board for many people who've had a very, very difficult life as a result of what they experienced in mother and baby homes. To, to actually pay out Look, there. In, unfortunately, it is a sliding scale. It, it is a sliding scale, Do you and, that's and for right. the for the length of time. Well, I think that if somebody has been in a place for decades, I think we can all acknowledge that there is a huge amount of trauma with that. But look, I don't believe that any amount of money is going to is going to make up for what the state's the state's complete mm. failure. But over the last couple of years since we've been in government, in this ministry. There have been three really significant pieces of this puzzle that, um, you know, that actually were never there before. Um, mm. And it's the most, it's, it's the <clears throat> biggest redress scheme in the history of the state. Right. And I'm in Galway myself. It, all of us care about survivors. All of us know survivors. And, ha you know, it has an impact on Unless they almost, were six, less than six months in On the nearly every family. Nobody has, you know, nobody cares more than anyone else, I, I suspect, sitting on this panel. It, it is about saying, you know, what could we get over the line and trying and our very best. And what was preventing... Do, do we know what was preventing it all getting over the line? Full redress across the board. But, but full redress even if you were to include everybody. It isn't full redress because there isn't any amount of money there. Actually, an awful lot of the pieces were about, um, about ensuring that people had information. And that means it's not just about the bill. It's also about all, right. all of the money behind it within the state in order to get that information. Okay. But look, at, it's not perfect. I'm not going to say that it's perfect, but we really have to acknowledge that a lot of people will get redress that never got on, it before. On that, it, it, that's or, really important. On that, um, a lot of people getting um, redress. Do you believe that there will be survivors, Orla? Because I know you've done a lot of work in this area. You've spoken to a lot of survivors who will be happy, who will feel um, that they have been compensated. There is this extended, you know, um, medical card and, and scheme in, in place for many people. There's also compensation for people who were, who were forced to work in these mother and baby homes, but not, not to everyone. There are still exclusions that apply there. But, but where, where does this actually go now? I mean, to be fair, out of all of the survivors I've spoken to in recent months, not one person has told me they're happy with the scheme, to be perfectly honest. And most people have told me they won't bother applying because they might get five grand or seven grand or ten grand for, in their own words, their child being stolen in many cases. So I think the idea of saying, you know, um, we're doing what survivors want or we're taking on board their views. If you look at the Oak consultation in 2021, most people wanted a common payment for everyone, regardless of length of, so length not, of time in an institution. not the sliding scale? No, not the sliding scale. And they said that, yes, if you were in there for 10 years, it may have been worse. You could have gotten more, but everyone should have gotten a base payment and then you could have increased the payment based on length of stay. But doing it solely on that is not what people wanted, so it's unfair to say that it uh, is. An €800 million Euro scheme, Holly Carnes, do you believe that that is not an adequate amount of money to, to spend in order to compensate people who have been through this system? Absolutely, and... I've said it so many times, but, you know, if you had a claim for something like whiplash or for falling off of a pavement or something, you get multiples of the kind of payments we're looking at for this. And when you think about kind of maybe matching it up with the, grav the kind of magnitude of the crimes committed, we're talking about the worst human rights violations 
imaginable. Things like, you said, taking somebody's child, that's forced family separation, incarceration, illegal vaccine trials on children. Mm -hmm. These are the worst things imaginable. And we're talking about payments of, you know, okay. base, you might get five grand. All right. Uh, uh, just to come to you uh, briefly, Norman, on what now for people that you are legally representing, do they wish to take um, cases against the state? What are we likely to see as a result of this bill being passed and the redress scheme going ahead in its current form? Um, well, up until this point, um, like our firm have instructions from a number of uh, survivors who are currently excluded. Um, we, have, we have cases pending at the moment for less than six months uh, and we have test cases for people from the various institutions that are also left out of the scheme. Um, and uh, we will be taking our clients' instructions, but I would suspect that there will be, uh, there will be a significant number of people will be coming to us now to say that they, they, they've, they've allowed the bill to make its way through uh, the doll and they're getting no, no, uh, no movement from, from the government at all. And so I suspect we, we will be uh, receiving instructions now to, to issue further sets of proceedings uh, against the government in that regard. OK, um, there we will leave that conversation for now. My thanks to Orla Ryan and to Norman Spicer who joined us. Pauline and Holly are staying on with me. And coming up after the break, why the NCT operator was in front of the Oireachtas today. Do stay with us. Here's a sentence you don't see very often. The sitting president of the United States has had his house searched by the FBI. Joe Biden's home in Delaware was searched with what his lawyer said was the full support and cooperation of the president. Let's bring in Kate Fisher, who joins me now from Washington. And Kate, bring us up to date on what's happening and why exactly the FBI are searching Joe Biden's holiday home. Yeah, this is the third property of his that has now been searched in pursuit of classified documents that have been found uh, at his other home, his main uh, residence that isn't the White House in Wilmington in Delaware, and a think tank where he used to work after he was finished being vice president in Washington. Classified documents were found in both of those, uh, both of those addresses. No classified documents were found in today's search his holiday home on the coast in the state of Delaware, his beach house. Uh, FBI say they didn't find classified documents, but they did find some handwritten notes and other material that they are taking away for, quote, further review. Well, this is all very awkward, isn't it, for Joe Biden, considering how much he spoke out about Donald Trump uh, with his search of his home in Mar-a-Lago, um, to have this now land on his doorstep, an investigation of his own. What's he been saying about it and, and how damaging is it politically? It is damaging politically. And what's damaging as well is that this isn't sort of a one hit and it's all over. This has been rumbling on for nearly a month now. And this is, as I say, the third property of his that has been searched. So his team may be hoping that this has kind of gone off the news agenda and then suddenly it pops back up. So it is a political liability for him. Some members of his party are angry that this is happening. They had a bit of a head of steam coming out of the midterm elections in November, and this is dragging them down somewhat. President Biden, is, for his part, is saying, look, I don't believe I've done anything wrong. I'm cooperating fully. He is trying to show that the way he is dealing with this is very different from the way Donald Trump has dealt with it, in that Donald Trump refused to cooperate with the FBI, and they had to have a search. They had to apply for a warrant to search his property. Joe Biden has allowed uh, officers in whenever they've 
Abbas and he says he is being fully supportive and cooperative. Uh, but despite that, clearly, I'm sure he and his team would like this to all be over because every time another search happens, all of us journalists start talking about it all over again. OK, Kid Fisher in Washington, thank you for bringing us up to date on that story. Now, back home, and anyone who has tried to get their car booked in for an NCT over the last while won't be surprised at all by the next story. Uh, the waits are long, months in fact, and today we found out that 375,000 people... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about... Work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Are driving the roads without their NCT because of the backlog that exists. And the Road Safety Authority and APLUS, the group in charge of NCTs, were up in front of the Iraq this, uh, today in front of a committee. And here is some of what they had to say. We are seeing approximately 2,500 vehicles not show up for their appointment each week. A further 1,000 will cancel just before the test. That's a combined 3,500 vehicles each and every week foregoing their appointment and looking for a new one. At the moment, the national average time to invite for a test is 19 weeks. The service level agreement that is in place with the Department of Transport is to maintain an average waiting time of 10 weeks. OK, well, Pauline O'Reilly and Holly Carnes are still here with me. And I'm joined also by Geraldine Herbert, motoring editor at the Sunday Independent. You're very welcome along to the programme, Geraldine. Um, Apple's up and they're blaming um, no-shows for this uh, backlog in part. Now, they are saying some 3,500 no-shows per week mm. uh, to, to NCT test centres. People may be surprised by that. 
Yeah, it does seem like a very high number. I think that it's a combination of factors which has got us into this situation, though. COVID is obviously the biggest impact, the backlog from all of that. Um, the fleet is getting older as well. We have had a delay with new cars, so people are holding on to their cars for longer, so there's more cars that need to be tested. There's also staff absenteeism. Um, so I would imagine as well in December and January, the high rates of flu, COVID, RSV infections, all of these things are actually impacting on why people are no-shows and staff absenteeism. So look, it's not an ideal situation but those were the reasons that were given today. Yeah, and is there a worry about safety on our roads with so many cars uh, and motorists driving around without an NCT? Like, arguably, you know, many would say, look, they're, they're picked up on little things, but there are obviously some big faults that are also picked up during the course of an NCT test. Yeah, what I was quite surprised about today is that figure of 375,000, that's normally 200,000. So at any one time, in normal circumstances, there are 200,000 people without a valid NCT. I think the issue is if people are using the NCT as a diagnostic tool and they're not actually keeping their car in a roadworthy condition, they're bringing it on to the NCT and they're only repairing what they need to do to pass the test. Then we're in trouble if there's 375,000 of them on the road. What we do hope, though, are these are cars that are being regularly serviced and there shouldn't be an issue, to be fair. You know, the NCT is a minimum standard. That's, it's not what you should be aspiring to mm -hmm. with your car. It should be in, in roadworthy condition at all times. It is still an offence, Pauline, and, and drivers can be taken off the road. I think there's five penalty points that can be issued with a fine of €2,500 or three months in prison. It's quite steep. And I'm wondering, uh, people are breaking the law, but they're not doing so by choice. Well, I mean, one of the reasons for the NCT is that um, it is supposed to make our roads safer and therefore people do need to uh, make sure that they have their NCT. But look, uh, I don't think the RSA is doing enough, uh, anywhere near enough, in order to clear the backlog. Um, they have said that they have stepped up, you know, from 3,000 to 4,000 tests a week. This but is the, the, the NCT, the, the operators. Yeah, yeah the operators. Um, and so, you know... Uh, we're still well behind. Now, the um, applications increased by 36% is what they told the committee today mm. last year. So I acknowledge all of the difficulties that, are, that they're having, um, but in the end of the day, they are the operators and it is their job to, um, to get this over the line. And I have heard varying... Look, as politicians, we have so many people coming on to us about this issue, but I have heard varying reports of people getting it within a matter of a couple of weeks and then other people having to wait much longer. So um, there's obviously the a, sy is, a system failure there. Is the system fit for purpose? Well, um, I, I mean, I think it's, 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 quite, it's quite clear from all of the things today that if, if NCTs aren't happening, they do have a service level agreement um, mm. with the department that it's, it's 10 weeks and at the moment, I think what they've said today is it's 19 weeks average, average, um, which is obviously too long then um, on the basis of the service level agreement. So um, they've said that they need more staff. Yeah. Um, I think it's at 120 at the moment. They say they need 170. And, and that's, you know, that, to be fair, is being experienced right across the state as we have record employment rates. We've, we've never sure. had higher employment in the state and it, it is impa impacting. On lots of areas and, I and think lots of sectors. To pull in international workers in order to fill the gap here. Just some reaction because we did ask um, people to, to get in touch with the show to let us know, you know, how long you've been waiting for. I'm waiting. Uh, it was due in January. Um, that's the NCT. So last month, not one available until September. I added my name to a priority list. If I get one in September, I'll have to get another one again in January. 
Um, somebody else says, I applied for my NCT last night. Earliest date I could get is the 4th of September. So you're looking eight months for this. Um, I've been waiting for nearly a year, someone else has told us. And it's a nationwide issue because somebody else said, and we're hearing a lot about backlogs, I think, in Dublin and then people travelling from Dublin to other counties in order to get a, a shorter test time. But um, they applied in January for Balneslow and given a date of June. Um, on this front, I mean, I know a lot of pressure has been put on, on NCT, but the, the government the contract is there since 2020. They signed a 10-year contract, a pretty lucrative one at that, Holly. Um, what, what do you think should be done now? Well, yeah, we're in a situation now where, like you say, you can wait six months for a test, then that's backdated to the date that you were supposed to get it. So then you have to book your test again nearly and hope that you get one within six months. So the situation has become quite desperate, and it's only today we're hearing from Minister Jack Chambers that they will kind of introduce penalties in relation to the company who are supposed to deal with the backlog for not doing that. But why have we waited until it got to this point? It seems like there's this kind of trend of waiting for a situation to get so desperate that it's like on the front page of the newspaper that we're talking about it on this mm. programme instead of dealing with an issue earlier on. And it's completely reasonable to say, look, cars need to be roadworthy and all of those things. But like, if you live in a rural area, there isn't public transport available to you. So how are you supposed to go to work? How are you supposed to get your children to school? When you, and then you're going to be slapped with a fine and penalty points and all of these things, you know, it really shouldn't have been let get mm -hmm. to this stage. And it's only today we're hearing kind of rumblings from the minister of how they're going to deal with this. And ultimately, it just shouldn't be left get that bad. You know, we're hearing that there is a bit of leniency and leeway from, like, insurance providers and Gardaí in, in, in this instance as well, with, with such a big backlog, Ger. But what happens if you are in an accident and you don't have your NCT are you are like are you are you covered in that instance? Is that going to prompt a, a problem? Because legally, you don't have a leg to stand on. Yeah, the insurance company are very clear about this. The insurance companies, Insurance Ireland, that they are you are covered. How, have you if you have done everything you can to get a test and you you're in the system, but your test is maybe three, four, eight months out. That is through no fault of your own. So no, your insurance is valid. As for the guards, they are taking it on a case-by-case -case basis, an individual basis. But again, if you can prove you're in the system and your car is roadworthy, you don't have any worries. I know of nobody um, that has actually been prosecuted for this. I would say as well, I mean, they have increased capacity. They are in, um, they've extended opening hours. They now have 610 vehicle testers. That's the highest numbers they have ever had. And they are fairly confident that by Easter, we will see a breakthrough in this backlog. And by the summertime, it will be resolved. So, you know, I mean, I think patience will run out if, if we get to the summertime and this isn't resolved. But they're certainly doing, you know, what they can at the moment. Is there a glitch in the booking system where if you're on a waiting list, then you can't apply for priority booking? Yeah, you have to cancel your current appointment, your, your current um, appointment and then put yourself on the priority list. You can't do both, which makes sense. You, you know, you can't be on a priority list and have a booking eight months to, in eight months time. But you do get a refund for the one that you have, um, you've cancelled. And speaking of refunds on that, they do have in their customer charter mm. that if you don't get your test within 28 days, you are entitled to a free test. Mm. Are they standing by that? I would assume they're not, given the situation at the moment. I mean, nothing is operating as it should be, so um, I can't see that. Particularly when they're, they, you know, they, they would claim that they've had an issue with um, finance and everything last year because they weren't operating normally. So, um, and do you think government should be that. okay with that? Do you think the authorities should be okay with that? It is within their customer charter, as I said. There is a lucrative contract that they have signed up to. 
um, that they have to provide this service that's clearly going so badly wrong and affecting so many motorists. Well, 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 no. And I mean, um, obviously, Minister Jack Chambers is he's meeting week, weekly, as I understand, with them. Um, but I mean, you can't pull the rug out from the entire service either. Like, you know, th there has to be we, we have to ensure that we still have the service going. And um, there are those assurances that things are getting better. They are showing that the figures are improving week on week. It is clearly quite frustrating for us who are getting a lot of representations on this issue. Um, and, you know, uh, people are, people are yeah, really worried about There's about a backlog the of 375,000 cars, but, you know, there's, there's regularly a normal backlog of 200,000 cars or vehicles on our roads. I mean, is that acceptable? Um, I mean, even, even if there is that backlog, I, I don't remember people experiencing that long mm. a wait, you know, that mm. like a backlog, you can say that there's that many people in a system. Mm. But that's but, what they are. They're in a system. Yeah. They're people who actually have a test. They could be cars on a foreground at four courts. Exactly. And um, they could be people who have failed and haven't rebooked. So the 200,000 that is normal is just people in the system more than anything, because there's a lot of cars on our road. So you would expect that. And Holly, what do you think when the, the operators today said, you know, a lot of this is down to people not showing up for the test. As I said, it does seem like very high numbers with regard to that. Now, there's been people who've been sick, as we know, and they have no choice um, but maybe to cancel tests and, and not appear. But do you think that there's an onus on motorists to make more of an effort to show up, to cancel in good time? Um, they seem to be putting a lot of it down to operator error, if you like, but not themselves. Yeah, I think it was, there was a bit of kind of finger pointing and maybe just trying to deflect from maybe what the real issue is. But of course, we need to look at practical kind of solutions at this point as well. And I don't think it was really like ideal to just point the finger at people cancelling. That's always been something that happens. But given the situation that we're in and we need to kind of speed it up, hopefully the awareness that this you know kind of issue is bringing will result in less people cancelling and perhaps other solutions need to be looked at as well in terms of NCT centres opening late and maybe taking more bookings, extending the hours, all of those things to really try and address this urgently because I spoke there about people in rural communities not being able to access public transport but of course if you have additional needs and you have an adapted car as well you're not necessarily able to use any kind of public transport at mm -hmm. all so like all of these things need to be considered and perhaps it, like I don't know if there is already, but priorities need to be given in those kind of situations to get a test, you know? Well, I think uh, Geraldine would know better, but I, yeah. I think there are priorities there, given. There is, absolutely. You know, and also there are opening hours. The, the hours have been extended everywhere. And North Point in particular has a night shift now running. So, I mean, you know, the capacity has increased significantly in the last um, couple of weeks. So hopefully, I mean, we will start to it see It is still interesting, though, that somebody who just, you know, applied for an NCT last night, earliest date they could get is the 4th of September. So, you know, despite those efforts and the late opening hours, it's still is impacting But if you phone the NCT and are put on that priority list, they do guarantee that they will sort out the vast majority of people on that list within four weeks. OK, so that's what you have yeah. to do. And you have to give a reasonable reason for needing a speeded up NCT in that instance. Yeah, well, I mean, it could be your driving test. It could be your changing insurance providers. It could be all sorts of reasons and they will take them. So. And briefly talking about driving tests, there's a massive backlog there as well. We're looking Very at same reasons. shortages, Yeah, and COVID and everything else. And no shows. You know, so, I mean, it's it's a very, very similar situation. But again, they're giving priority to the places where there is the longest list. So, OK, hopefully. All right. OK, we'll just have to uh, hope on that one because there's a lot of uh, very frustrated uh, drivers out there, I think. We'll have to leave it there for now. My thanks to Jodine Herbert. Lots more coming up after this break, including the Trailblazer, St Bridget, and why we are giving the saint a public holiday.
Welcome back. The UK has seen a wave of strikes across the country today. Teachers, bus drivers, train drivers and civil servants were among the groups that took action over their pay, not keeping up with inflation. Well, it's the biggest strike in the country in more than a decade. Irish Times London correspondent Mark Paul was out with the strikers today and I spoke to him earlier and asked him what people were saying to him. I think the, the, the real message that I got from a lot of the strikers today, and I spoke to many of them across many different professions, is that they're going to stay the course with this. And um, there's a perception amongst the strikers that what the British government is trying to do is, is is drag out the disputes in a way so that inflation falls and it would strengthen the government's hand then in pay negotiations um, if, if, if deals are concluded at a time when inflation is lower than it is now. Um, so if you look at, if you take teachers, for example, I mean, there was about 500,000 workers on strike today, mostly public sector workers workers. About 200,000 of them were teachers and they were the biggest, noisiest contingent um, at the march in central London. And what teachers were saying was that, um, look, ever since the last financial crash in, 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 and, and since around about 2010 when the Tory government came into power, um, that they've had little or no pay rises in the years since and that they argue that, that the, the purchasing power of their salary has dropped by about a fifth um, um, over that time. Now, they got a 5% pay rise last year, um, but what they want this time is uh, an inflation matching pay rise, which in effect is a double-digit percentage rise. Um, and then train drivers are a slightly different category. Um, and I was up at Victoria Station today, uh, which was locked in. And, you know, that's one of any, any Irish person traveling through London going to Gatwick Airport will probably go through Victoria Station. It was locked outside. There were ass, um, um, train drivers from the Aslef Trade Union. Um, and they were, they've been offered 8%, but they're still not happy with that. We heard Rishi Sunak saying that children deserve to be in school as, as you say, 500,000 uh, workers going on strike and many teachers among them. So what's public sentiment like around this and, and what is Rishi Sunak's government doing about these striking workers? As you say, it's certainly gathered momentum. Um, well, look, I, I think it, it's not it's not politically troublesome yet for Rishi Sunak in the sense that his entire party is behind him on this um, and, 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 and the sort of tough approach that they're taking. There's no segment of the Conservative Party um, that is that is looking for him to do a kind of a, a, a deal now or, or a soft deal. It, it might become more problematic for him as time goes on um, and, and the public becomes more affected by all of this. The first day of February marks St. Bridget's Day, the first day of spring and the beginning of the ancient Celtic festival of Imbolg. Uh, the feast was celebrated across the country, but this year there's another first, the first public holiday dedicated to St. Bridget, which will take place next Monday. Senator Pauline O'Reilly and Holly Carnes are still here with me. And I'm also joined by Kelly Fitzgerald, head of Irish Celtic Studies and Folklore at UCD. You're very welcome along to the programme, Kelly. Thank you. St. Patrick's competition. Oh, as he should. <laughs> and long overdue, I guess you're saying. Tell us about the importance of St. Bridget in Irish history, because a lot of people will remember from school days making the St. Bridget's Cross. Absolutely. Um, but about her as a woman... Yeah. And as a force to be reckoned with, you'd say. Yes, I suppose it all comes back, really, if we think of it, the 7th century, when St. Patrick became the patron saint of Ireland. When Rome was kind of asking Ireland, get your 
act together, who is ruling you there? So we see the competition between Kildare, Armagh, and actually at that point, Iona with Cullum Kill. So it's a very different landscape when we think of Ireland and the Irish people of that time. So we have the saints' lives of the time. Cajetosis was the one who wrote Bridget's life for her in Kildare. Mm. And they were really campaigning. I mean, it was a really fierce battle. Uh, scholars have spent years looking at this material and really understanding. So she really was a force to be reckoned with in that time. And in terms of celebrating Bridget, there's all, always been a celebration around St. Bridget, yes. hasn't there? But it's it's been it's been more localized. Yes. It's been at a very local level rather than this large global commercialized level that we now associate with St. Patrick. Well, and of course, Patrick, when we see that, that's that really late 18th century, the marching bands, that very kind of American look of how we celebrate that. But Bridget is actually a part, it's the only quarter day when we think of the kind of early calendar of Irish tradition, it's the beginning of the calendar. So we do see it as the first day of spring. You know, we could debate that. What does that even mean? But uh, so we see that and it's the only one. So then we have, we have May Day, we have Lunasa, we have Samhain, but Bridget is the only one that has the saint's name on one of those really important quarter days. Um, Pauline, now I know you're saying that the Greens are taking are going to take credit for this. I, the I, fact I that, that we now have a day off and a public celebration of St. Bridget. But you say it's something that you have been pushing for for quite a while. You're delighted to see we, it come about. We are. We've been pushing for this for years. Um, and it's really like a recognition of a really strong, powerful woman and a woman really in touch with the earth and, you know, with our humanity um, and fertility and all of those those things, but uh, we, we pushed for it outside of government and I suppose we're inside government now and we are delighted. I mean, it, it's not as if others didn't agree with us, but... Um, that extra it, day off was coming but, though, wasn't it, with the promise for frontline workers of the, but the, the we, extra bank you know, holiday it, pandemic? Well, it, it was, and it was, a, it was to be a once-off and, you know, this was, mm -hmm. and actually, no, let's, let's do more than a once-off, let's have it about Bridget and let's continue it on. And that I would definitely take credit for, not personally, but as a party. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at all of the feast days, they're men. And so, you know, it's, mm. as, uh, it's really important to say, here's, here's a standout woman culturally for us. Yeah. Do you believe, it's Holly, really important. That, uh, yes, Polly. And do you believe, um, Holly, that, that, that she should be seen as this, you know, cultural female icon as such? rather than associated with a very religious stature, because at the end of the day, it is a feast day, it's a saint's day. Some argued with this being brought in, that why are we picking a religious holiday to get, you know, another, another day, day off? I, I hope it won't be seen as that. I hope it's seen as a, a day for everybody. And Pauline highlighted that it's great to have female saint being marked like this. And um, I can see where people are coming from, having a saint, but I think she was kind of a pagan saint as well. So I think we might as well all take it and celebrate it and enjoy it because there's lots of reasons to celebrate women. And here we have a day where we can really do that mm. and also highlight the issues that need to be addressed in relation to women's rights. You know, we have the vote, but there's a long way to go. And even this week, there was, you know, new research on increases in women going to sexual assault treatment units up 20%. And perhaps it can become a day to kind of celebrate women and to really highlight the issues that we, we need to work on. I raised that in the in the doll yesterday and in a previous week, previous week in relation to violence against women in general. You know, we saw this outpouring around the murder of Ashley Murphy in relation to the need to address this. Mm. And we know there's different ways we can do mm. it. And we don't want to 
to have to always have these tragic events to, to highlight issues. And this is a day where we can really hopefully work on those things. Yeah. So, Kelly, what form do you think this celebration should take? Like, we know for Patrick's Day, I mean, it's not just a day now, it's a week-long festival and there's the traditional parade, but there's lots more besides all that. Do you believe people should take to the streets? What do you think should well, happen? Well, I think, um, in a way, it's quite interesting because the state is giving us this day. But if we look at how people have been celebrating it when it wasn't a state-sanctioned day, it was very much in the home. Uh, Bridget is very much about caring. She is there. If you think of it, if, if anyone put out left last night, because, of course, the eve is the really important time, the, the Bratbija, that piece of cloth that would be her cloak, and this sense of belief that she actually came there and blessed it. And, you know, does this cure headaches or what have you during the year? And there is the time, I think it's really really interesting and really important that we do take that time to maybe reflect. It isn't this really outwardly event, but perhaps time to come in. And I think where we are in the world at the moment and actually having a day where we say it's important to do this as opposed to it. But yeah. holidays have to be what people want to make of it. You know, we can talk, I think we talk in the abstract about Patrick's Day and it is what people need. I mean, it's the middle of Lent, you, you get a break with Lent. But then if we also yeah. think of... That's traditionally yes. one thing I enjoyed about yes. it anyway. But Whenever then if, I'd given up, you could but if you go think and enjoy it for that day. Croke Patrick and really the Patrick's Festival in the summer when you people climb Croke Patrick. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, that's seen as a very religious thing. But when I've interviewed people in Croke Patrick for the past number of years, they aren't necessarily Catholic, Christian or religious it becomes a very important event for them. And I think we need to keep, get away from this kind of binary of this is pagan, this is Christian. We are humans, we live life. These things are important to us and they may have a certain label and certain organizations may you know, claim certain things. But I think we now have to move on from that and recognize it may be important. And if people really want to see Bridget's Day as a religious day, that is important to them, but if others see it as a time to come together, their girlfriends come together, and they make special traditions that we've never heard of, I can't wait to hear about them. And what about the guys? Do you think it's going oh. to be? It should be. <laughs> hey. we're out of, look, we're out, I'm being told we're out of time. It is for you men too. Um, that is it from us, uh, and I hope everyone does enjoy that day. Uh, our programme is available as a podcast. My thanks to all the panel tonight, to Pauline, uh, to Holly, and to Kelly, who joined us. Um, you can also find us on Instagram and on TikTok on Tonight VMTV. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care.